you know, obviously Thanksgiving is Thursday, and as we have already said, many people around the nation will be unable to gather together with families this year, and, and that's kind of sad because some will miss all those little funny little things that happen when families get together. Uh, they'll miss uh, the funny things, some of them, that kids sometimes say when their families get together. It's like uh, the little boy, little Billy, who told his friend at school about his Thanksgiving plans, and he said, uh, he says, for Thanksgiving, we're going to go to my grandma's house, and my cousin will be there, and he says, and my cousin has three feet, and his friend says, well, how in the world did that happen, and Billy says, well, I'm not sure, but the other day, I heard my mom talking to my aunt on the phone, and my aunt told my mom, you just won't even recognize little Jimmy anymore. He's grown another foot. I know, I know. Pastor jokes, dad jokes. I haven't, I haven't had a, an opportunity to get one in in a while, so I couldn't resist. <laughs> if you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We've looked at Psalm 107 in the past, but the Lord drew my heart to this psalm for, uh, for this week. You know, um, many of you have heard the story about uh, how Thanksgiving came to be in the United States. That story usually has to do with a group of pilgrims who came to America seeking religious liberty and in 1624 years ago this year, they uh, came and established a colony. They composed a proclamation of that colony, of a colonization, and, and it was called the Mayflower Compact. They released it. It was 400 years ago yesterday, and the Mayflower Compact is sort of the framework. One of the things that that the writers of the Declaration of Independence and the writers of the Constitution used uh, as a framework as they wrote the laws and the Constitution of our nation. And I want to read to you just a little portion of what was written in the Mayflower Compact. It's not a, it's not a, a large document, but it's real interesting uh, you know, uh, when you think about it, compared to what some people say today about how our nation was founded, but these, uh, these, these pilgrims wrote in part, they said, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancements of the Christian faith and in honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in, in the northern parts of Virginia. That was what was written 400 years ago. You, you may remember the story of Governor William Bradford and all the things that they endured as they came here to plant that colony. You may not know that, uh, that after the Mayflower arrived and it dropped anchor in what is now the harbor of Provincetown, uh, Massachusetts, three weeks after signing the Mayflower Compact, while he was away uh, exploring and trying to figure out where they were going to colonize and, and where they were going to plant their, uh, their, their villages uh, in the new world on the land. Uh, William Bradford's wife fell off of the boat into the freezing waters and drowned. And even 
in such devastating tragedy, just three years later, he would issue a proclamation establishing that there would be a day of thanksgiving. And he established that tradition of pausing to give thanks to God for all that he had done. I want to read you just a portion of that proclamation as well because of, of it shows you what was in their heart and why it was that they felt the need to give thanks. Again, interesting compared to what many people say about how our nation was founded. He said, Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game, and the sea with fish and clams, and insomuch as he, talking about God, has protected us from the ravages of the savages, he has spared us from pestilence and disease, he has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our conscience. On that basis, William Bradford would proclaim and I quote, for the rendering, for rendering thanksgiving to the Almighty God for all of His blessings. And 397 years later, this nation that we are in today that descended from those pilgrims who were looking for a place where they would have freedom to worship God, freedom to express their, uh, their worship of God uh, without government suppression, the nation that's descended from those God-fearing pilgrims seeking liberty, that nation, the nation that blossomed from a boat called the Mayflower, will pause and give thanks even today, 397 years after that first great proclamation. And as Christ followers, Listen, as Christ followers, you and I know that our thanks is not to be given to the universe. And our thanks is not to be given in the name of karma or anything other than the one that Governor William Bradford called his citizens to thank. It's the same one that George Washington called upon the citizens of the United States to thank. It's the same one that Abraham Lincoln called upon the United States citizens to thank. It's the same one that virtually every president we have ever had has called upon the nation to give thanks to. And that is the one that Bradford said is the almighty God. Why? For all of His blessings. Many of us, when we uh, pause to give thanks on Thursday, we will think about family and friends. But my prayer is that we would be thankful. And I, I think that's something we should all be thankful for. Don't get me wrong. But we should be thankful to the Lord above who has given us those family and friends that expresses his love to us through many of those relationships it's about what god has given to 
us, there are, there are many wonderful reasons to thank God, but I can think of no greater reason to thank God this year on Thanksgiving Day than for the greatest blessing of all, and that is the blessing of His salvation. And that's exactly what the author of Psalm 107 wants us to understand. I'm going to read Psalm 107, just the first three verses, and then we're going to start kind of going through it. We'll skip around a little bit. Some of the passages will be on the screen. If you, if you, I would encourage you to go home, read all of Psalm 107. It's a wonderful psalm, but we're going to break that down. First, let's read the first three verses, Psalm 107, starting in verse 1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim that He has redeemed them from the hand of the foe and has gathered them from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. God, we pray, Father, that You would help us to understand Father, that we who are in Christ have great cause to give You thanks this year, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but God, we have great cause to give You thanks every day. And Lord, we pray that You would speak to us as we navigate Your Word here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in... In the King James, you would, if some of you are reading the King James Version of Psalm 107, you'll notice that where it says in the home and give thanks to the Lord for He is good, there is a word in the King James and some of the other translations that's added there. It's the word, oh. In some of those translations it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And the reason why that is there is to, uh, to, to help you to understand that the way that the sentence was written, it's actually written as an exclamation. It, it, is, it, is a, uh, it is something that the psalmist is saying. The author is saying this with passion. He is praising and giving thanks to God because God is good. He is good. And the psalmist is passionate about that. He's not just like, oh, give thanks. He's like, Give thanks, like I cannot help. And I'm telling you, we have reason to be thankful. That is sort of the, 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 the attitude and the approach of what is being said in this passage. It says, for His faithful love endures forever. That phrase, that God's love endures forever, is used 30 times in the book of Psalms. It is, it is repeated throughout the Bible that God is good. And this morning, right here at Perryville First Baptist Church or wherever you are watching us online or maybe listening to a podcast sometime in the days ahead, I want you to understand that there is a God who is good. Be reminded that there's a God who loves you no matter where you're from, no matter where you have been, what you have been through, there is a God who is good and a God who, whose love for you will endure not just for a lifetime, but a love that's going to endure forever. One of my favorite 
pastors to listen to is Dr. David Jeremiah, and he once said, God is faithful. And that, the faithfulness of God, as he talks about, trumps all of our problems, tears, tragedies, and the very prospect of death itself. I don't know where you are or what you have been through, but I want to remind you as we get into Psalm 107, God is good and His love endures forever. And if you are a believer in Christ, then you know that. You're, you're amening that in your heart already. You're like, yes, I, I, I'm with that. I understand that because I have experienced that. That's the love I know even to this day. I'm reminded of uh, a song that came out probably 10 or 12 years ago, but the chorus says, your love never fails. It never gives up and it never runs out on me. For the believer in Christ, we understand what that means because the love of God was and is personified through the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's the love of Christ that saves us. It's the love of Christ that connects us to God and to our salvation. And if you know Jesus as Lord, you know the love that I'm talking about this morning. And, and that's the love that the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 107. And, and as we look at Psalm 107, I want you to see what, what we see in here. There are four, what I'm calling, archetypes or four extreme examples of circumstances uh, in which God has saved people from their sin. I, I think a lot of time when you think about people being saved, sometimes you think about someone who grew up in church and you know they've been in church their whole life every time the doors were open. Others may be thinking of, well, you know, you think about the guy that was like in prison and he did something really bad. Maybe he killed somebody and then he got saved in prison and somehow he got out. And now he's, a, he's an evangelist and he goes everywhere. And those things do happen. But those are not the only two examples or situations in which God will save someone. And so I want to look at these examples this morning as we give thanks to the God of salvation. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is that God saves the wanderers. You look at Psalm 107, starting in verse, verse 4, we see the psalmist, he says, some wandered in the, de in the desolate, desolate wilderness, finding no way to a city where they could live. They were hungry and thirsty, and their spirits felled within them. The word wanderer means to stumble or to stagger. The, the, the wandering into a city, it's not just necessarily talking about, um, uh, about when we think about wandering without a direction, although that is part of it. But this person was so directionless that, that he or she were, were unable to walk steady. It, it would be like maybe someone that had a head injury. Someone uh, who was intoxicated or dizzy for some reason, not able to walk in a steady line. These are, this is the, the picture that we see of a wanderer. It's like they, could, they just couldn't find their way to anything in life. They were going nowhere fast. Wanderers are people that typically live without any identified meaning, purpose, or direction 
in their lives. Many of us have been wanderers at some point in our lives as we grow up, we become young adults many times. That is a, a, a time in our life when we are looking for direction as, as we move out of our parents' homes and start college or start to work, become independent, and you're trying to figure things out. So in, in a way, that could kind of be like a stage of life, but I think this is just talking about someone in general who is just living directionless, purposeless, meaningless. Most likely, these wandering people would have felt alone, like nobody understood them. And the truth is, is that many of them, many wanderers don't even understand themselves. And so how could anybody else understand them, right? They were directionless. They, they, they would have had nothing. It, the Bible says they had no food, no water. They had no hope of a future, no hope of, of, of a tomorrow, or even a hope of today. And finally, for some reason, it doesn't tell us how. But at some point, the Lord intervened in their life and got their attention. In verse 6, it shows us they finally got a clue, and it tells us, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He rescued them from their distress. And then we see in verse 7 what God does. It says, He led them by the right path to go to a city where they could live. And then verses 8 and 9 tells us their response to God. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His wonderful love and His wonderful works for all humanity. Verse 9, for He has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. See, see they were thirsty, they were hungry, they found no satisfaction and now they have found something that is greater than anything that they could have ever had imagined. It says not just that God filled them, not just that God satisfied their thirst, but He gave them good things. Give thanks to the Lord of your salvation, friends, because God saves wanderers. But I also want you to see that God saves the prisoner of sin. Look at verses 10 and 11. Just a second here. I've got... There we go. All right. Verses 10 and 11. It says that there are others who sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains. Why? Verse 11, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the counsel of the Most High. These people were prisoners of sin. See, at one point in their lives, they were too cool for God. They were too strong for God. They were too popular for God. Many of them probably too rich for God. They had no needs or no needs that they had perceived of. They probably had many of the things that the world says that you have to have in order to be happy. And now they are prisoners of their sin. They are humbled by their sin. It doesn't tell us exactly what their sins were, but these are people who quite honestly 
were getting exactly what they deserved. They were getting exactly what they deserved, kind of like the Ninevites. When, when God tells Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites, Jonah's like, I'm not going to go preach to those people. They're horrible people. Let them suffer. Let them die. They deserve it. Now, that was the wrong attitude for Jonah to have, and we talked about that before. But these are people that were suffering because of their own doing. And the thing that's sad about this group of people that are prisoners of sin now, this particular group, it's not that they didn't know about God. It doesn't say that they didn't know. It doesn't say that they did what they did out of ignorance. It doesn't say that they had never heard. What it tells us is that they blatantly disregarded it. The psalmist tells us that, that these prisoners of sin are people who rebelled against God's commands. And they despised his counsel. Many of them brought up in God-fearing homes, most likely. Many of them obviously had been exposed to and taught the sacred and holy things of God from an early age. But as they got older, they just rejected it. Maybe they were too smart. Maybe they had it all figured out. Maybe they were just arrogant and prideful and haughty. But just too cool, too popular, whatever it might be. Maybe something tragic happened to them in life and they were angry at God. Maybe they fell into the trappings of Satan and allowed their lives to be shaped by things like anger and fear and worry and loneliness and jealousy and unforgiveness and, and, and the hurts and heartaches of the past and hate in their heart. Maybe they allowed those things to shape who they would be. Galatians 5, Paul tells the, the Christians there that the, work of the works of the flesh are obvious. He says they are sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Most likely these are the things that would have influenced the lives of those that the psalm, psalmist in Psalm 107 is telling us are now prisoners of sin. It's their own doing. But then something amazing happens. Just like the wanderers. Verse 13 tells us that something happened and says, and then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and He broke their chains apart, verse 14 says. Verse 15 again tells us to give thanks. But then verse 16 says, For He has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. And for you to understand what that means, that the bronze gate and the iron, the iron bars are uh, symbolic of punishment, of judgment, of, of being punished for your impurities. And God broke those. They were being punished. They had more punishment in front of them. But then they cried out to God 
even in their sin. Listen, they didn't say, you know what we need to do? We need to go to church. We need to, you know, we, we need to start going to Sunday school and we need to start doing this stuff and then maybe God will save us. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. Those are great things. But they didn't have to clean themselves up for God. They cried out to Him as they were chained by these, uh, by these shackles of sin and shame. Aren't you glad, friend, that God saves even those who are shackled by sin and shame? No matter who you are, even the worst of the worst, God will save you if you will call out to Him. And that will motivate you, as it motivated me, it motivates me still today, to praise Him. See, God saves the wanderers. He saves the prisoner of sin. Number three, we see that He saves the dying. He saves the dying. Verses 17 and 18 tells us that there was another group of fools who suffered affliction because of their rebellious ways and their sins. Verse 18 says, They loathed all food and came near the gates of death. The people we see here are much like the prisoners of sin because they were people of rebellious ways. But the difference with this particular group of people here in verses 17 and 18 is that the sins that they were committing most likely caused critical damage to their bodies. And now because of their sin, they are on their deathbed. And yes, it's their own fault. And no, they don't have anybody to blame but themselves. And now they're on their deathbed. It's not just that they're suffering in life, dragging these chains around, but now they are near the gates of death. I think about people who have been addicts of drugs or alcohol. I think about people who have given themselves over to many self-destructive sins and now they're reaping those things that they have sown into their life. That's kind of what I see here as I look at verses 17 and 18. But then, it didn't stop at verse 18. Praise God, there's a verse 19. It says, then they cried out to the Lord, just like before, just like the other groups, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. Verse 20, it says, He sent His Word and healed them. He rescued them from the pits. Verse 22 says, Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce His works with shouts of joy. Here they are near the gates of death, near the pit of eternal torment. And they cried out to the Lord in their final moments. In their final days. I've heard stories, as many of you, many of you have experienced situations where you have seen or led someone to Christ on their deathbed. And I praise God that He is willing to save, He is willing to save us, 
even at the very end. It reminds me of what Billy Graham once said, that the only sin God cannot forgive is the sin of refusing to accept his forgiveness. The only sin that God cannot or will not forgive is the sin of refusing to accept his forgiveness. But there is a season, friends, there is a season for accepting God's forgiveness. And that season is the season of your life. The Bible tells us that it is appointed for all men to die once and then the judgment. Now here's what that means. Those who are on their deathbed can call out for forgiveness, but not everyone on their deathbed gets the chance. I've talked to people over the years who kind of take the attitude of, I'll get to it later. Maybe they think in the back of their mind that, you know, that, that they maybe assume that they'll be able to know when the end is near for them. And many people do, but many do not. And many that do are not even, are, are, are not able to, uh, not, not able to comprehend. They're not even conscious, many of them, uh, who, uh, who, who die of natural causes of old age in a nursing home or in a hospice care facility. Anybody can call upon the name of the Lord as long as you're drawing breath. You can call upon the name of the Lord and He will save you even on your deathbed. But not everybody on their deathbed gets that chance. Man, praise God, He forgives the wanderers. Praise God that He saves those who are prisoners of sin, that He will save the dying who are on their deathbed. But the fourth and last thing we see is that God will save the weary. He saves the weary. Look at verses 23 through 27. I want to focus on verse 26. It says, Rising up to the sky... Sinking down to the depths, their courage, this is talking about people who are away on ships, they're out at sea. He says, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men, and their skill was useless. This is a picture here of, of sailors who are on a long voyage, a long journey, a lot of ups and downs. You know, like our lives, we have, we have highs and we have lows, don't we? These, these people had a lot of ups and downs. They are very skillful, and for a long time, they were able to find great success with their skill, but now out in the ocean, being tossed by the waves in a season of bad weather and bad fortune their skills were useless they had seen some success but now they're experiencing disappointment after disappointment and catastrophe after disaster and now they feel like failures and they're ready to give up they're weary i wonder if they feel helpless and afraid I'm sure they're unsure, you know, that they are uncertain of their next step, not knowing where to turn. 
I wonder if some of them even are maybe even considering out of their weariness. Maybe some of them are even considering just jumping off the boat and putting themselves out of their misery and hoping the pain and the suffering will go away. But then again, something happened. We don't know what happened. But something happened for God to get their attention. And in verse 28, we see that the result of what happened. It says, verse 28, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, just like the others. And just like the others, He brought them out of their distress. He saved them. He rescued them from their distress. Verses 29 and 30 tells us that God stilled the storm to a murmur. And the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. And then God guided them to the harbor that they had longed for. Kind of reminds me of the passage in the New Testament where we see Jesus calming the storm in the boat when the disciples were so afraid. Verse 32 says, Let them, talking about these that God has rescued, let them exalt Him in the assembly of people and praise Him in the council of the elders. So we just looked at four archetypes of situations and types of people and life events in which God saved different people. We talked about the wanderer. We talked about the prisoners of sin. We talked about the dying. We talked about the weary. I I wonder which one of those four most describes who you were when God saved you. I was probably a little bit of a wanderer and a little bit of a prisoner of sin. Probably more of a wanderer than anything else. If God has saved you, friends, don't forget to praise the God of your salvation, not just privately, but publicly. Give thanks. Verse 9, For He has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good things. Give thanks. Verse 16, For He has broken down the bronze gates and cut through the iron bars. Give thanks. Verse 22 says, Offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce His works with shouts of joy. In verse 32, Praise Him in the assembly of the people and the council of the elders. Believer in Christ, when was the last time that you have announced the good works of God with shouts of joy? You know, you may not be where you want to be today, but if you are a believer in Christ, you can always praise God that you are not where you were. I don't know if any of us will ever be where we think we ought to be or want to be in life, but if you're a believer in Christ, you can always praise God you're not where you were because where you were is dying in sin. Where you were was spiritually shackled and wandering and weary. But that's not who you are anymore. It doesn't have to be who you are anymore if you are in 
Christ this Thanksgiving, friends. Be joyful. Give thanks to Him. Maybe someone in here, in this room, or someone watching or listening from somewhere else, maybe there's someone out there, and as you listen and as you watch and as you are here this morning, the truth is, is that these things, these four archetypes, doesn't describe who you used to be, but the truth is, is it describes who you are today. I want you to understand that that doesn't have to be who you are tomorrow. Give yourself to Him today. And this Thanksgiving, you can give thanks for the first time truly to the God of salvation. If you are a believer in Christ, let us not forget to lift Him up and celebrate Him this year. Let's pray.